0: Hello, and welcome to Places to Sleep. Every episode, I will be reading Places out of different books as a backdrop for you to be able to drift off into sleep. Your Places to Sleep tonight will be read from The Raven Boys by Maggie Stiefvater. Please note that there may be some mild spoilers, and for some of the descriptions, there is dialogue. It makes more sense to leave it in. I hope you enjoy. 1136 Monmouth was a hungry looking brick factory, gutted and black eyed, growing out of an overgrown lot that took up nearly all of a block. A clue to the building's original identity was painted on the eastern side of the building, Monmouth Manufacturing. But for all their research, neither Gainesy nor Adam had been able to figure out precisely what Monmouth had manufactured. Something that had required 25-foot ceilings and wide-open spaces. Something that had left moisture stains on the floor and gouges in the brick walls. Something that the world no longer needed. At the top of the second-floor staircase, Declan whispered all of this knowledge into Girlfriend's ear and she giggled nervously, as if it was a secret. Adam watched the way Declan's lip barely brushed the bottom of Girlfriend's earlobe as he spoke to her. He looked away, just as Declan glanced up. Adam was very good at watching without being watched. Only Gainsey ever seemed to catch him at it. Girlfriend pointed out the cracked window toward the lot below. Declan followed her gaze to the black, angry curves Gainesy and Ronan had left doing donuts. Declan's expression hardened. Even if they were all Gainesy's doing, he'd assume it was Ronan. Adam had knocked already, but he knocked again. One long, too short, his signal. It will be messy, he apologized. This was more for the benefit of Declan's girlfriend. it was for Declan, who knew full well what state the apartment would be in. Adam suspected Declan somehow found the mess charming to outsiders. Declan was calculating, if anything. His goal was Ashley's virtue, and every step of tonight would have been planned with that in mind, even this brief stop at Monmouth Manufacturing. There was still no answer. Should I call? Declan asked. Adam tried the knob, which was locked, and then jimmied it with his knee, lifting the door on its hinges a bit. It swung open. Girlfriend made a noise of approval, but the success of the break-in had more to do with the door's failings than Adam's strengths. They stepped into the apartment, and Girlfriend tipped her head back, back, back. The high ceiling soared above them exposed iron beams holding up the roof. Gainsey's invented apartment was a dreamer's laboratory. The entire second floor, thousands of square feet, spread out before them. Two of the walls were made up of old windows, dozens of tiny warped panes, except for a few clear ones Gainsey had replaced other two walls were covered with maps. The mountains of Virginia, of Wales, of Europe. Marker lines arced across each of them. Across the floor, a telescope peered at the western sky. At its feet, lay piles of arcane electronics meant to measure magnetic activity. And everywhere, everywhere, there were books. Not the tidy stacks of an intellectual attempting to impress, but the slumping piles of a scholar obsessed. Some of the books weren't in English. Some of the books were dictionaries for the languages that some of the other books were in. Some of the books were actually sports illustrated swimsuit editions. Adam felt the familiar pang, not jealousy, just wanting. One day, he'd have enough money to have a place like this, a place that looked on the outside like Adam looked on the inside. The second place from the Raven Boys is Blue's Backyard. She bore a grudging fondness for the weird architecture 300 Fox Way. It was sort of a half-hearted affection born of nostalgia more than any real feeling, but her feelings for the yard behind the house were anything but mixed. A great spreading beech tree sheltered the entire backyard, its beautiful, perfectly symmetrical canopy stretched from one fence line to the other so dense that it tinted even the hottest summer day a lush green. Only the heaviest rain could penetrate the leaves. Blue had a sachet full of memories of standing by the massive, smooth trunk in the rain, hearing it hiss and tap and scatter across the canopy without ever reaching the ground. Standing under the beech tree, it felt like she was the beech like the rain rolled off her leaves and off the bark, smooth as skin against her own. With a little sigh, Blue made her way down to the kitchen. She pushed open the back door, using two hands to close it silently behind her. After dark, the yard was its own world, private and dim, The high wooden fence covered with messy honeysuckle blocked out the lights from neighboring back porches and the inscrutable canopy of the beach blocked out the moonlight. Ordinarily, she would have to wait several long minutes for her eyes to adjust to the tremulous dark. But not tonight. The Third Place From the Raven Boys is a forest. The stream trickled sluggishly out of the woods from between two diamond-barked darkwoods. With Gainesy in the lead, they all followed the water into the trees. Immediately, the temperature dropped several degrees. Blue hadn't realized how much insect noise there was in the field until it was replaced by occasional bird birdsong under the trees this was a beautiful old wood all massive oak and ash trees finding footing among great slabs of cracked stone ferns sprang from rocks and verdant moss grew up the sides of the tree trunks the air itself was scented with green and growing and water the light was golden through the leaves everything was alive. Alive. Hand in hand, they climbed after Gainsey. The trees grew even larger. Some of them grown together into trunks like castles, turreted and huge. The canopy soared high overhead, rustling and reverent. Everything was green, green, green. Somewhere ahead water splashed. For one brief moment, Blue thought she heard music. Gainsey's voice sounded forlorn. He'd stopped by a mighty beech tree, and now he searched around himself. Catching up to him, Blue realized he'd stopped by the shore of a mountain pool that fed the stream they'd been following. The pool was only a few inches deep, and perfectly clear the water was so transparent that it begged to be touched crouching he hovered his free hand over the water his fingers were spread wide millimeters from the surface beneath his hand the water shifted and darkened and blue realized that there were a thousand tiny fish just underneath they flashed silver and then black as they moved Clinging to the faint shadow he cast. The fourth place from the Raven Boys is a place seen from the air, which maybe isn't a good place to sleep, but something you'd see in your dreams. He continued, In Peru, there are hundreds of lines cut into the ground, in the shapes of things like birds and monkeys and men and imaginary creatures. Thousands of years old, but they only make sense from the air, from an airplane. They're too big to see from the ground. When you're standing next to them, they just look like scraped footpaths. You've seen them in person, Blue said. When Gainsey had seen the Nazca lines for himself, massive and strange and symmetrical, he'd known that he wouldn't be able to give up until he found Glen Tower. The scale of the lines was what had struck him first. Hundreds upon hundreds of feet of curious drawings in the middle of the desert. He'd been stunned by the precision. The drawings were mathematical in their perfection, faultless in their symmetry. And the last thing to hit him right in his gut was the emotional impact a mysterious raw ache that wouldn't go away Kansy felt like he couldn't survive not knowing if the lines meant something the last place from the Raven Cycle is probably the most apt since it's Blue's bedroom just a mile away at 300 Fox Way Blue looked up as a tap came on her cracked bedroom door. Are you sleeping? Mara asked. Yes, Blue replied. Mara let herself in. Your light was on, she observed, and with a sigh, she sat on the end of Blue's bed, looking as soft as a poem in the dim light. For several long minutes, she didn't say anything at all, merely picked through Blue's reading selections piled on the card table, shoved against the end of the mattress. There was nothing unfamiliar about this quiet between them. For as long as Blue could remember, her mother had come into her room in the evening, and together they had read books on separate ends of the bed. Her old twin mattress had seemed roomier when Blue was small, but now that Blue was human-sized, it was impossible to sit without knees touching or elbows rubbing. After a few moments of fretting through Blue's books, Mora rested her hands in her lap and looked around at Blue's tiny room. It was lit to a dim green by the lamp on the nightstand. On the wall opposite the bed, Blue had pasted canvas trees decorated with collaged and found paper leaves, and she'd glued dried flowers over the entirety of her closet door. Most of them still looked pretty good, but some of them were a little long in the tooth. Her ceiling fan was hung with colored feathers and lace. Blue had lived there the entire sixteen years of her life, and it looked like it. Thank you for listening to Places to Sleep. I hope that you've drifted off along the way, but if you haven't, that's okay. Sometimes, even when you can't sleep, it's nice to think about places where maybe you could.